everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow, Monday post-week 10 edition with the Titans and Packers sitting atop the AFC and NFC respectively. And while it's weird that the Packers took over the top spot after that lackluster offensive performance yesterday, I cannot wrap my brain around an AFC where Tennessee is on top under the circumstances. You guys, their offense is incredibly unimpressive right now. And I mean, give them credit, they're winning, but I cannot figure out how they're winning and I don't see how they can keep it up, but they're probably going to because their remaining schedule is literally the easiest in the NFL. They've got two games against Houston. They have Jacksonville. They're playing Miami. The Steelers are on their schedule still. The Steelers who could not beat the Lions yesterday and don't get me started on that game and the tie and the fact that the players on both teams admitted afterward that they didn't even know that a tie was a possibility. They thought they were going to keep playing. People had to tell them that the game was over. Oh. Anyway, the Steelers are a team that is on the Titans' schedule. I digress. The Niners are also, and so are the Patriots. This team, whose leading rusher yesterday, Deontay Foreman, had 30 yards, and whose leading receiver yesterday is rostered in one, I'm sorry, not even one, 0.0% of ESPN Fantasy Leagues. I'm talking about Marcus Johnson, who had 100 yards. They don't have anyone on the roster who scares you except for A.J. Brown. They've got a secondary that you want to fire up your passing game assets against in fantasy, and yet they're 8-2. and two. They have a two-win lead over the Bills and Ravens for the one seed in the AFC, plus they've got a head-to-head win in pocket against the Bills. They've got a three-game lead in the AFC South. And the website 538 has them with a 76% chance of ending up with a first round buy. Make it make sense to me. The AFC is so weird. Looking at the rest of the conference, I see, I see three teams that I wouldn't be surprised to see advance in the playoffs, have some success. That's the Bills, the Ravens, and then after last night, Kansas City. You knew that they'd turn it around at some point, and they did. And if they play like that, there isn't a person in America that would be surprised if they were playing on February 13th. Steelers aren't a good football team. They're the five seed as of right now. New England is playing well, but it's hard to see that team going the distance. And while I wouldn't be shocked to see the Chargers go on a roll, they haven't risen to the occasion enough this year to make you feel like you can really count on that happening. Now, the NFC is a different story. Dallas routing the Falcons. Not shocking, though I did think Atlanta would play them closer. Um, But Dallas is obviously a very good team this year. Arizona's good when they have their guys. Green Bay is good, though they didn't look that way yesterday for reasons I think that are understandable, but still surprised me. That was one of those games where I felt like Rodgers was going to, like, jump out of his COVID bed and throw for eight touchdowns just to hammer home whatever point he feels like needs to be made. I thought Russell Wilson would play better also. I even started him over Kirk Cousins in fantasy, knowing that the evidence suggested that I shouldn't first game back from a hand injury on his throwing hand. I just didn't think they'd put him in a game where he wouldn't succeed. 
I didn't see any need to with a three and five record going in. Why do it if he couldn't play like himself? And I know that there's an argument that like a 70% Russell Wilson is better than a hundred percent Geno Smith, but I don't know. It didn't look like it. So I thought he might come out and ball out. Also, I was obviously wrong about that. In fact, he was QB 24 in fantasy. He put up a whopping five points for that fantasy team that I told you I started him for. Uh, Joe Flacco, as a backup in garbage time for the Jets, scored more points than Russell Wilson this week. And how about this? Cam Newton did too, with a whopping seven touches off his couch in his fourth day as a member of the Panthers. Again. And while we're looking at weird fantasy nuggets... How about this? Let's look at the top 12 receivers. Number four, owned in 3% of leagues, Kendrick Bourne of the Patriots. Number eight, owned in 15% of leagues, Brian Edwards from the Raiders. Finally, I know some people would say finally. Uh, 10, 11, and 12 in fantasy at the wide receiver position. They are three guys who combined are owned in 0.7% of ESPN Fantasy Leagues. This is Ray Ray McLeod, Ray Ray McLeod from the Steelers, who was number 10. DeAndre Carter was number 11. He plays for Washington, uh, in case you were wondering. Uh, And number 12 was the aforementioned Marcus Johnson. The top three running backs this week. Now I'm on a roll here. You guys got me. Uh, They were all backups or guys who at one point this season were backups. Daryl Williams filling in for Clyde Edwards-Elair for Kansas City. He's your RB1 on the week with 29 points heading into Monday Night Football, I should say. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, who's been inactive four times this year, your RB2, coming off a week where he didn't practice with the team at all because he wasn't activated from concussion protocol until Saturday. Bill Belichick, of all people, just plugs the rookie in and uses him like crazy. What? And A.J. Dillon, who got more run than expected because Aaron Jones went out with an MCL injury, he was your RB3. So, good thing we all play this game where we spend all this time trying to figure out what's going to happen only to find out on Sunday. We have absolutely no idea. Though I guess that's what makes it fun and makes for interesting stories for the wonderful writers of the NFL world like Peter King, whose Football Morning in America column is a must-read every Monday morning via the Pro Football Talk website. He, of course, wrote the Monday Morning Quarterback column for years at Sports Illustrated before moving over to NBC and is just one of the best to ever do it. So I'm looking forward to hearing his thoughts on Week 10 and about the nuggets that he pulled out from his post-game conversations with the likes of Patrick Mahomes and the aforementioned A.J. Dillon. Time now to break the huddle. Hurry up, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Peter, I'm excited to get to some of the notes that you had about Week 10 in your Football Morning in America column. First, though, I am curious about the way that that column gets put together because every Monday morning for the last, I don't know, how many years have you been doing this column? Uh, since you were 10. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I've been doing it since 1997. Wow. It's a funny story. When Sports Illustrated got a website 
called CNNSI. I, um, uh, the guy who ran that website for Sports Illustrated uh, asked me one day, he goes, hey, listen, um, we want to do some original content on this website and not just put all SI stuff. So would you write a column every week uh, just about whatever you want to write that maybe doesn't fit into your SI stuff? I said, OK. And he goes, but we want it to be personal. We want it to be um, different. I wanted to have a different tone, not just reporting about the NFL. You can write about whatever you want. And so I don't know. I ended up writing when my two daughters were in high school. I'd write about all their sports events. And I don't know. It just it just got to be, a um, you know, sort of a repository of a bunch of stuff in my life. And so I've been doing it now for, I guess, wow, 24 years. And uh, I really enjoy it. It's a nice place to put some of those things that are like, here's something that I noticed that isn't a fully flushed out story necessarily, but it's just an interesting note or an interesting thought that you have while you're watching the games. So then every Monday morning for the last, uh, well, however many years it's been since 97, I've never been really good at math. There you go. Good. At, good for you. It's not even that complicated, but I can't do it. Um, it's been there to read. Uh, with great insight into the day of football that we just witnessed from multiple games and multiple people who aren't particularly easy to get a hold of. You're getting scoops from coaches and stars, and the journalist in me is curious about your process. Do you go into the day Sunday with a blank slate paper in front of you, ready to go wherever the day takes you, or do you have a rough idea of what, what you're interested in chasing down if if certain situations pop up? Let's we'll just use this week as an example. I woke up Friday morning and I'm from Connecticut and I saw that Jim Mora has been hired as the new football coach at UConn. I said, holy crap, Jim Mora's coaching little UConn. And so I texted him and we ended up talking for a while. I did a little section of my column on Jim Mora. Then uh, during the day on Saturday, I saw that Sam Huff died. And, you know, Sam Huff, to people of a certain age like me, uh, not that I remember all that much about Sam Huff as a player from the 60s, um, but, I mean, he's a huge guy in NFL history. So I said, well, <clears throat> I'm going to write something about Sam Huff. So, you know, something just seems to happen every week that uh, is interesting. And like the, one other thing that happened this week, I was so ticked off at the Cassius Marsh uh, call for taunting. You and 99% of a football loving America. Oh, I, I, I just, you know, and I felt like the NFL in this particular case was you know, the emperor with no clothes on. They just kept doubling down, tripling down, and then they find them. And I said, oh, so anyway, I wrote some about that. So something happens every week, but quite honestly, unless I'm covering a game, like last weekend, I went to see the Raiders at the Meadowlands. And so that was going to be the lead to my column. What in the world is going on with the Raiders post Henry Ruggs? Um, I covered the Brady game back in New England in October. But most Sundays, I'm sitting in my apartment on the seventh floor of a building in Brooklyn, 
and I watch the games just like everybody else. And I say, well, this is interesting. Yesterday or Sunday when we were, um, when I was watching the game, I was totally kind of fascinated by a few things. I was fascinated by, you know, the Patriots just absolutely murdered Cleveland. Um, so I wanted to try to do something on that. I wanted to do something on uh, the Packers and Seattle, but not necessarily, hey, Aaron Rodgers, he's back, whatever. I, You know, there were so many other things about that game that interested me, like, oh, my God, you know, the Seahawks might want to rebuild. You wrote in the column, I wonder if we're seeing the end of Russell Wilson, of the era in Seattle. If you're John Schneider and you're the general manager of that team and you already know that Russell Wilson was miserable at the end of last year, what's he going to be like this year if this team, if this season doesn't turn around like pronto? Um, and it might, who knows? Seattle, I think, still think Seattle's good, but that just, so that's the kind of thing that you're talking about. Things just occur to me and I just say, I mean, if, I, if I'm John Schneider, I really have to try to figure out what in the world we're going to do about this, you know, about this team. But anyway, and then I had no expectation whatsoever of writing about the Sunday night game. I just, I just didn't think that I would end up doing that because I just, I didn't anticipate I thought the Chiefs might win the game, but I just didn't anticipate Patrick Mahomes looking like classic Patrick Mahomes. So when that happened, I had to just sort of, it was like 11 o'clock at night, Eastern time. And I said, well, got to tear up what I was going to do in the column about, uh, about the Seahawks and Packers. And I just sort of uh, changed courses I texted uh, Ted uh, Cruz and Brad G of the of Kansas City and said, "Hey, I'd love to get five minutes with Mahomes if it's possible after the game." So they made it happen, and then so now it's like twelve forty-five, and I just I was all in on writing something else about that game and finishing a bunch of other things. So that's kind of how the thought process works. The bottom line is most Sundays, I have absolutely, totally, unequivocally no idea what the column is going to look like 12 hours from now. You just start making calls as soon as stuff pops up to you, like, oh, that's someone I would want to talk to. You talked to you talked to Heineke, too, didn't you? After the I game? talked to Taylor Heineke. Yeah, I just find his story utterly fantastic. He's now played Tom Brady twice in this calendar year. And he's outscored him 52 to 50. Uh, I mean, it's just utterly preposterous. Um, but I don't know. It's The NFL is fun because I could have picked out five other things to write about, too. Five other interesting things. I could have gone all – I talked to Matt Rule, and I was thinking about going a little all-in on Cam Newton, but – I don't know. I wrote a little bit about it, but not a lot. Uh, I just thought everybody was going to be writing about him, and I didn't really – I didn't have Cam. So 
I didn't really have anything that was going to be special. So I, I don't know. I usually want to put something at the top of the column, usually, not always, that I feel is going to be special and maybe only I would have gotten. But anyway, that's kind of how it works. Like Patrick Mahomes, who's tough to get a hold of and certainly yeah. somebody that people want to hear from the day after that performance. What stood out to you the most about your conversation with him? Just that, um, you know, I said, did you ever like in the last month sort of stare up at the ceiling and say, man, what's wrong? And he goes, no, I didn't. And I think what what really impressed me and what stuck out to me is that, you know, Patrick Mahomes grew up in an athlete's family. He grew up going to the ballpark with his father he grew up watching his father one night he'd strike out Alex Rodriguez the next night, David Ortiz would hit a tape measure home run off him. And, you know, he just, and I'm, I don't know that that ever happened, but I'm just right. making Highs it up. and lows. Yep. But yeah, I, I mean, basically he got used to seeing what happens in professional sports. Sometimes you stink it's just, there's nothing you can do about it. It's like Tom Brady yesterday. Um, Tom Brady made a couple of sort of brain lock throws. These things happen. It's, it's part of humanity really. And so I was impressed that he wasn't having the kind of crisis of confidence that maybe you or I in our job would have if we really stunk for three or four weeks. Right. And he just never thought of that. He just sort of shrugged his shoulders and said, this is the life I lead. We'll be okay. I thought it was interesting that Andy Reid kind of acknowledged after the game that Patrick Mahomes had been in a slump. Like, cause it's easy, especially, and maybe it's easier to acknowledge that now that it feels like it's in the past, but when usually things like that are happening, you talk about the team and certain things not working and you don't point the finger. But when he said that uh, Mahomes lasted longer than any quarterback in the history of the game without a slump. And so it's going to happen. That is an acknowledgement that it was Patrick Mahomes who was in a slump these last few games. Yeah. And I think, you know, Andy is not one of these guys. I mean, he's not going to throw his players under a bus, but Andy is also going to acknowledge just the simple fact that, uh, what I saw it, you saw it, we all saw it. He wasn't very good for a while. And, um, you know, but I also think that part of it was uh, people playing Patrick Mahomes different, Lindsay, because if you think about it, just think about how, you know, everybody goes to school on everybody else. And so everybody in a given season you're going to face a defensive coordinator. I mean, I found it really, really interesting last week that Joe Cullen, the defensive coordinator of the Jaguars, knew exactly what he wanted to do with Josh Allen, you know, and knew exactly uh, when he plays, uh, when, when, because he used to be in Baltimore. Baltimore had a way of playing Buffalo and had a way of approaching Josh Allen that he thought 
would give them great success. And so they tried it in this particular case, uh, cover, 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 but your, your defensive front has to get home and has to really bother uh, uh, Josh Allen. And so everybody has different ideas about how to play everybody else. But I think what really ended up hurting Mahomes recently is that everybody took away kind of Tyreek Hill with the deep stuff and forced Tyreek Hill to play the middle of the field, not the deep sidelines. And so I think adjusting to that and understanding that maybe Tyreek Hill is going to get taken away from you more than he ever has before. That is one of the things that I think really occurred to Mahomes and really made Mahomes um, sort of understand, okay, so if they're going to do that, then here's what I'm going to do. And I, and then I think the other thing that hurt him is that, uh, is that uh, Travis Kelsey was, was not as much on his game uh, over the last month, maybe had a couple of drops and maybe wasn't as impactful as he normally is. And that took away uh, part of his uh, part of his magic. But the other thing is he just was inaccurate too. So I think a lot of things sort of fed into it. And it's in some ways, it's kind of like, you know, a pitcher, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a big baseball fan and Clayton Kershaw went through some stretches this year, particularly where he said, wow, that is not Clayton Kershaw. And I just think it happens sometimes, whether it's the aging process or whether it's just the way sports is sometimes. I, I feel like this season has been, and maybe it's just recency bias or whatever, but it feels like it's been a weirder season than we've seen in the last few years, at least. Um, and everybody's talked about the AFC and the fact that nobody's really rising to the top in a way where you can point to a specific team and say like, that is the team like Buffalo to me is the closest thing to that. But even they show up sometimes and you're like, are you ready for this game? What's happening here? Um, the NFC looks a little bit stronger, but it just feels like a weird year. And I don't know. I think scoring is down. And I can't quite put my finger on why that is. Do you have any idea as to why things are playing out the way that they are this season? Big picture. Or am I making too much of it? Is it maybe, you know, is it not as weird as I think? I think it has been a weird year, but I think most years in the NFL, it's like everybody now is screaming about the officials. Oh, the officials stink. And it's the worst we've ever seen it. No, it isn't. We yell about how bad the officiating is every year. The fact is, it's not bad. It's just there are some calls where you say you can't make those. And then when the double then when the NFL doubles down on the calls, that's when I get kind of angry and upset. I I understand. I think Tony Correnti is an excellent official, but he's not flawless. And he proved that Monday night game last week. It was called, in my opinion, Cassius Marshall. One of the other calls on the low block, which was a phantom call, I, he just he had a bad night. You know, it's not it's not Tony Carini's Super Bowl year. Uh, you know, that's just all there is to it. But as far as the the season in itself, I mean, I remember a few years ago, Lindsay, and I'd have to go back and look it up. But 
when it looked like the Patriots really were kind of falling to earth a little bit, uh, they lost a couple of bad games in midseason. I went back and I found like in eight consecutive years, a double digit loss in October or November that the Patriots had. And, and that reminds me of sort of the last two weeks. How in the world does Denver go into Dallas and have a 30 to nothing lead in the second half at one point? Um, you know, how does Jacksonville beat Buffalo? And the fact is, and I've become convinced of this, you know, you're going to see two or three. Last week, you saw maybe five or six of those games, but you're always going to see two or three of them. And, and I, I'll call it the Taylor Heineke effect in that just imagine, okay, Taylor Heineke is one year ago today living in his sister's house in Atlanta. Sister and her husband, you know, I can just imagine, you, you know, you know how this might be if you're married and you've got a sibling living with you. Occasionally, you're probably rolling your eyes and the husband is probably saying, when is Taylor going to get it? He's not a quarterback anymore. He's got to move on with life. And and so but Taylor Heineke is not thinking that. And he said, man, if I just get one more shot, if I get one more shot, I'm going to show them. And, you know, the fact is, we all think that, oh, my God, it's impossible for Taylor Heineke to ever beat Tom Brady. Well, you know, it really isn't because 20 years ago, 21 years ago, we all thought it was absolutely, totally impossible for Tom Brady to ever unseat Drew Bledsoe as the quarterback of the New England Patriots. This is why we love sports. What fun would it be if we woke up every Sunday me at one o'clock in New York, you at 10 o'clock in, uh, in LA. What fun would it be if we knew who was going to win these games? It's why, Lindsay, one of my favorite stories ever about this topic is that I once in 1990 took a bus ride across the United States with John Madden. And uh, your younger listeners will not they will only know John Madden because of the Madden game. But John Madden used to be Chris Collinsworth and Tony Romo. He was the best uh, color analyst on TV. And he was also deathly afraid of flying. So he took a bus everywhere. And so I got the, uh, the okay one time. He said, yeah, you can come on one of my trips. So we took a bus from uh, the East Bay of uh, the Bay Area, uh, right outside of Oakland. We took a bus from the East Bay to Manhattan. He had an apartment at the Dakota. He knew Yoko Ono, <laughs> you know, and just, it was a really kind of a cool trip, obviously. So it's three and a half days on this bus. I just had the greatest time. But anyway, first night, we stop in Elko, Nevada, at a big boy restaurant and it's a burger place okay. and we get out there and we're eating there. And one guy comes up to him and he says, Hey, John, Hey, great to meet you. Uh, he said, uh, who do you like in the Packers Detroit game this weekend? 
he goes, Madden goes, where are you from? And he goes, oh, from Ypsilanti, Michigan. I retired. I live out here now. And he goes, oh, I love the Lions. They're going to kill him. <laughs> and then we're walking out to the bus. It's an hour later or whatever. And a bunch of people are coming up. Hey, can I get a picture? Can I do this? Can I get an autograph? You know, Madden is nice to everybody. And so somebody else comes up. Hey, John, I'm going to put a few bucks down on games this weekend. What do you think of Green Bay, Detroit? Uh, he go, And he noticed he had a Packer jacket on. He said, he said, yeah, uh, you know, I'm from, I'm from Wisconsin. Uh, and, uh, and I, what do you think of the game this week? And he goes, of the Packers in that game. So we get on the bus and I said, John, you just told one guy you like the Lions. You told the other guy you like the Packers. Isn't that a little bit uh, weird uh, to put <laughs> it and, and he goes, he goes, listen, I do this for a living. I watch film of all these teams. Honest to God, I don't know who's going to win that game. And I would hate to give somebody advice one day and it'd be, and it basically, uh, it would be, oh, I'm sure the Packers are going to win this game. And then they lose the game. Oh, Madden's an idiot. At least if I tell them what they want to hear, you know, they're going to walk away from it saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Madden likes my team. Yeah. And so, but he was, he convinced me that day. He said, I don't know. He was doing Dallas and the Giants, I think, that weekend. And, and I remember him saying, he said, I truly don't know who's going to win this game. Uh, anyway, but that is why I'm, I always marvel at people who want to bet on football, man. Yes. I think fool's errand. A hundred percent. Well, and then I'm over here like an idiot, like knee deep in fantasy. And it's the same type of stuff that happens. You do all of the analysis could be correct, right? All the numbers, all of the matchups, everything points to this is an advantage. And then it just doesn't play out that way. Sometimes like Matt Ryan, this yesterday was a great fantasy play. He ended up being an awful fantasy play. Why was that? I don't know. You know, because everything told us that this was a guy that you should pick up off your bench or your waiver wire and plug into your starting lineup. If you're looking for a quarterback, it's going to be great. And then you've got guys uh, who end up having great days that nobody's predicting. Like, who were some of the top quarterbacks from a fantasy standpoint? I just thought it was incredible. Mac Jones was QB four this week and Trevor Simeon was QB five and no one literally no one is screaming from the top of anything saying plug these guys into your lineup. It's just incredibly unpredictable. Do you think Mac Jones, speaking of Mac Jones though, are we headed in a direction where there's a development that you seeing happening or is he who he is and they're just using him in a way where he can be successful and they're only putting him in positions where he can be successful is do you think that we'll see a different Mac Jones in terms of the way he's used at the end of the year, as opposed to what we're seeing now, which is kind of a low volume efficiency passer? That's a really good question. I, I think they'll probably continue to give him more and more each week, but you know, look at the team that the Patriots are. Okay. Right now, the Patriots are a team that I think is going to have a really good chance to have a top five defense and what you want in your offense, which isn't a particularly explosive offense, 
What you want in your offense is to be efficient, to score 25 points every week. That's what you want. They just happened to score 45 yesterday. But when you have a team like that, your quarterback, look, I went to cover the New York Giants in 1985. I got hired by a paper called Newsday. And I remember uh, Bill Parcells walked up to Phil Sims at the beginning of 85. In 84, he had thrown for 4,000 yards, which in those days was gigantic, like thrown for 5,500 today. And uh, Parcells said, hey, Sims, this year you're not going to be thrown for no 4,000 yards. We're running it this year. And I don't, I forget what Sims threw for, maybe 2,800. And everybody said, oh, bad year for Sims. No, it wasn't. Sims did what the offense called for him to do. Mac Jones is being the same way. I, I think Mac Jones, he's the best of these rookie quarterbacks. And I'm not saying he will be over time, but I'm saying right now, without any question, the best rookie quarterback in the NFL is Mac Jones. Well, he's certainly being put in a position to look like that because I think that this is an interesting conversation because now based on that game, there are people that are talking about the rookie quarterbacks and where Mac should have gone if we redrafted right now. And I think that, you know, you don't know what you have in some of these guys until there's a little bit more time that passes. And I think that Bill Belichick and like a Matt Nagy are interesting contrasts right now in terms of the way that they've used the rookie quarterbacks. Because you could look at Justin Fields and say, well, Matt Nagy has kind of shown a more of a lack of willingness to change his offense to specifically suit Justin Fields' skill sets. To me, it's an interesting contrast of just I'm not sure. I think there's I think there's probably a couple of big differences. Yeah. Number one, the Bears line stinks. Um, and you know, the Patriots don't have the best line in football, but it's good and competent and gives Mac Jones enough time. So I think there's that difference. And I think the other difference is, look, I met with Matt Nagy uh, one Saturday in August um, in the preseason. And, and I remember him being absolutely, he said, listen, I am not playing Justin Fields until he's absolutely unequivocally ready. This is a 15 year project, not a two year project and all that. And so I think there was something Matt Nagy saw. He did the same thing with Patrick Mahomes in 2017 in Kansas city. There was something Matt Nagy saw that said to him, you know, this quarterback is just not really ready yet. And so I'm not sure if he changed his mind all that much or if if circumstances forced him to change his mind. But I, I think one of the things that I think is is hard in today's football is that, you know, the rookies are anointed so much uh, on the day of the draft that, for instance, it doesn't it didn't matter in any way, shape or form if Zach Wilson was ready to play quarterback for the New York Jets on opening day, or if it was going to be a debacle. It didn't matter. He was playing. I just think that's not smart. Why do you care about, you're not making the playoffs this year anyway. Why do you have to see Zach Wilson right now? And I think that 
is one of the issues. Uh, it goes back to, I mean, I first remember it in 1998 when uh, the Chargers played Ryan Leaf. He was probably never going to be ready, but they played him far too soon. And he just simply wasn't ready for the NFL game. And I'm not saying that destroyed his career, but it helped destroy his career. And I don't understand why you would have something extraordinarily valuable and then say, it doesn't matter what we see, he's playing opening day. But the circumstances obviously change for each person, right? Like based on what you see. Of course. Yeah. You have to be smart enough to to know whether a guy is ready to go. I just think some teams like the Jets went into it saying they didn't have a backup quarterback on the team other than Mike White, who had never taken a snap in an NFL game. I mean, that's sorry. You know, I like Joe Douglas, but that's irresponsible. You think it damages that quarterback moving forward and hurts his ability to become the guy they want him to be? We'll see, especially, you know, in the Jets case, especially after Greg Knapp died. Greg Knapp was going to be the guy who held Zach Wilson's hand throughout his rookie year. He's a great, Steve Young thinks he's one of the best coaches he's ever had in his life. And look at all the great coaches he's had and Bill Walsh and Sid Gilman. Uh, I mean, he's had a lot of good coaches, but you know, so it was set up to be really tough for, for Zach Wilson. And yet I just don't think they did him a lot of favors. Uh, I want to ask you about the Seattle Seahawks. You mentioned what you wrote in your column about Russell Wilson and the potential end of the Russell Wilson era based on what happened last offseason. And here was my question while I was watching that game. I'm not sure why they played him because it felt like the plan was to protect him. They didn't yeah. actually. Didn't it use- sort of feel like he would? Didn't it sort of look like. I mean, I wondered, was he really ready to play in this game physically? But why would they put him in a position of all people to go back out there before he because was Russell ready Wilson, physically? I think it's because Russell Wilson is a very powerful and persuasive person. And Lindsay, you know Russell Wilson. He has always answered the bell. I mean, before this injury... He had played 165 this, since the day he was drafted be, until this injury. Since the day he was drafted, Seattle, regular season and postseason, had played 165 games. He started every one of them. And he played like 98% of the snaps in his career. And so if he goes to Pete Carroll and says, Coach, I'm ready, what's Pete going to say? No, I don't think you are. Who would know better than Russell Wilson? But I do think he might, might, might have been kidding himself because he was very inaccurate. It just, it was not a good Russell Wilson game. Well, you know, he rehabbed his uh, hand 19 hours a day while he was gone. Why do you leave yourself up? Why do you put yourself (laughs) open for that sort of thing by saying that? We all know Russell Wilson is going to work diligently. That's just a little silly to me. Little bit unnecessary. A little. I don't know. A little. I don't know. I did love uh, your notes about AJ Dillon. And I love that those are the types of people that you want to reach out to because it's newsworthy. Like you mentioned, you could go get Aaron Rodgers. Everyone's talking about Aaron Rodgers coming off of that game. I don't think I could, though. I I mean, well, that's a good point, too. There are some people 
who um, are are hard. You can't just call the PR guy and said, hey, put Rogers on the phone with me for five or 10 minutes. I can do that with a lot of people, but I'm not saying it's impossible with Aaron Rodgers, but I've tried at some points in the last few years and failed. Now he's done it a couple of times too, but most of the time he won't do it. But do you have to reserve that ask. Do you wait for the right moment and say, okay, now is when I want to push? Lindsay, I know I'm asking for Patrick Mahomes once in the regular season. Yeah. That's it. So that was I it. I had to think last night at 11 o'clock before I sent that text, do I want to use this up? And I thought I did. Um, now, my editor and I discussed it. He goes, do you want to wait till after the Dallas game next week? That would be a huge win for them. I said, you just said it. That would be a huge win for them. But how do we know that's going to happen? Um, but but anyway, anyway, the, the A.J. Dillon thing was funny. I don't know him, never met him, never talked to him before. But he was really interesting in that game very powerful. This is why they drafted him. And I just thought there were so many interesting things about the game that he was involved in. And I find out he's, he's like a fanboy. I love that. Yeah. I thought it was really cool that, you know, he, he goes up, he, he drags Bobby Wagner into the end zone on his first touchdown and goes up to him after the game and says, Hey man, you're a legend. You know, <laughs> it was an honor to meet him. You know, it was cute. And the fact the guy's been to the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame three times. Yes, what? I just love that. Who doesn't love that? I love that. I find stuff like that so endearing, but I also yeah. find that there are more people like that than you would think playing in the NFL. We just don't talk to all of them. We don't get all of those stories. But I'm always shocked when somebody like Aaron Jones, just, just also in that running back room, when I met him when he came through NFL Network a few years back, he was like, Yes, ma'am. Nice to meet you. I mean, he could not have been lovelier. And I was like almost uncomfortable at how yeah. just sweet and kind of, um, I don't know. He was, uh, you know, really, showed so much really respect. Nice and yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but I, I love those stories. And I love that you were able to bring that to light about AJ Dillon. I think a lot of times we envision, uh, because I, look, if you go to play for the Green Bay Packers, and let's say when you're a kid, you're in middle school, you're in high school, and you said, oh, my God, Aaron Rodgers is great. And then you grow up, and all of a sudden, you know, with the 62nd pick in the draft, the Green Bay Packers select A.J. Dillon running back Boston College. And then you have to basically say, my God, now I'm Aaron Rodgers' teammate. I'm not Aaron Rodgers' fan anymore. And so – it's all well and good to respect them, but you know, it's the real world. When I went to Sports Illustrated, holy crap, I'm working on the same uh, magazine as Paul Zimmerman, Rick Riley, all these guys. I'm not in their league and all that. And But after a while you say, just shut up and go do your job and you'll be in their league. And that's how you have to treat life. And so I th really think that's what AJ Dillon has done there. He understands He's got a job to do, but he still can be incredibly respectful and maybe not worshipful of Aaron Rodgers, but pretty uh, excited to be in the same huddle with him. Well, and Aaron Rodgers should be excited that he's going to be in the same huddle as him for the next few weeks, because now that draft pick all of a sudden is looking like a much smarter pick 
under the circumstances. You lose Aaron Jones. A.J. Dillon is the perfect running back to have down the stretch, the way that he's built as the weather turns colder and they're in a playoff race as the number one seed in the NFC currently because it's been that kind of a year. After that game, the fact that they would move into the top spot in the NFC after that game where they just, I mean, it was that was an awful game to watch as a fan. Maybe people who are really into defense would say otherwise, but who are those people? <laughs> it wasn't like an Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson game to see it be three nothing into the fourth quarter. Just totally, absolutely bizarre. But that's one of the things about football that's fun. I mean, I can imagine that everybody who picked the over on that game had already thrown a brick through their TV at halftime. And, but again, that's one of the things that we love about it. It's unpredictable. Looking ahead to next week. And I know you just spent hours and hours and hours, but are there people whose stories you didn't get to this week that you kind of have in the back of your mind? Like this is going to be a person that I'm going to keep my eye on moving forward that I would like to talk to if the stories continue to play out in the way that they are. I think the obvious one next week would be Cam Newton because he's playing against Ron Rivera. He's probably going to start. Um, and, you know, he's a, he's a really, really interesting story. And it isn't just because he's coming home. It's because we all watched Cam Newton play last year. He wasn't good. Now, there might have been 19 different reasons why, and maybe those reasons – Many of them have gone away, we'll see, but Cam Newton's got a lot to prove. And it's not just about, can he get Carolina to the playoffs this year? It's about, does he have a future in the NFL as a starting quarterback? That's what, I think that's one of the most interesting things, you know, that we're going to see this coming week. But there's a bunch of, a bunch of really interesting games. I think Dak Prescott versus Mahomes is really, really fun. Um, I think I think it, it, one other game that I just really like because I think it might be 45 to 36 is the Bengals rested off a bye going to play the Raiders. And the Raiders will be out for blood in that game because they've had two consecutive stinkers. So I don't know. There's a bunch of fun games, I think, next week that that are really going to be interesting to watch. Well, I look forward to reading your thoughts on week 11 and uh, enjoyed your column this morning. As always, thank you so much for your time, Peter. Hey, really appreciate it, Lindsay. Thanks a lot for reaching out. Reminder that week 10 column is out right now on profootballtalk.com and you can find it linked on Peter's Twitter feed, which you should be following anyway at Peter underscore King. I wanted to ask him about the doorbell, um, but I didn't want to interrupt him. I know you were wondering like, what the heck's going on with this doorbell? Uh, Let's talk about his focus, by the way. Didn't miss a beat, just kept right on going, not distracted. I was distracted. I'm like, who rings the bell 10 times? I want to know all about it. Did your wife get locked out angrily at the door? Like, why aren't you letting me in? Super over eager delivery guy really wants to give you your package. I'm left with questions. I bet Peter King wouldn't have let those questions go unanswered. And that is why he has a national column and I do not. If you enjoyed this episode, and you want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. 
The NFL Roadshow is also available on the SXM app. Free for most subscribers, just download it today and tap podcasts. For video clips of the show and more, follow me on Twitter, Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'm also on Instagram, Lindsay Rhodes NFL. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. And a special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. SiriusXM Podcasts.